This is John Shannon with Radio Free Galisteo, and today I am speaking with Sonali Dev, who is the author of The Vibrant Years. The Vibrant Years is a book, and it is the first selection from Mindy's Book Studio. And Mindy's Book Studio is a boutique story studio created by Mindy Kaling, uh, who many of you know uh, as an actress, comedian, writer, producer, and director. Sonali writes Bollywood-style love stories. She is a best-selling author, USA best-selling author, and uh, she has had her novels named as Best Books of the Year by the Library Journal, NPR, The Washington Post, and Kirkus. And she's also won numerous accolades. Sonali, welcome. Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. That's a pleasure. So tell us about the vibrant years, and then we'll talk about how how you managed to be with um, uh, Mindy Kaling's new publishing endeavor. So I think of uh, the vibrant years as everything I've ever wanted to say about being a woman. It is essentially three women on the modern dating scene together. It is the youngest, it's a grandmother, a mom, and a granddaughter. And the granddaughter is a tech genius who is coding a dating app uh, to save her other app. And uh, she pitches it in a panic to her investors and she has never dated in her life. And so what 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 better way to research dating apps than to have your hot 65 year old grand widowed grandmother and your recently divorced mother uh, to get them to help you research uh, dating apps so you can figure it out. But it's essentially a journey of women and choices uh, we're now able to make and what that actually means to us in terms of living our best lives. Where did this idea come from? Um, <laughs> from being a woman, actually. <laughs> um, we, you know, I mean, it's it, it was when I think about I have a 21 year old daughter and my mom is uh, 75. And when I think about my mother uh, and her mother, because I was really close to my grandmother's, and and how they chose life partners and how they went looking for love, what that was like for them. And when I see my daughter and her friends, it just feels like this is universes apart, right? Talk about paradigm shift. But I also think it's a really great metaphor for how far women have come. And so I kind of wanted to use that, uh, you know, that setting, the setting of the modern dating scene, which I will tell you is there is no fiction anyone can write that is more bizarre than, than the stuff that's happening there. Yeah. As you'll know, if you know anybody who is uh, currently on a dating app. And so I wanted to use that setting to really tell this journey that women have made over time and what it means. How did this come to the attention of, uh, uh, of Mindy Kaling? Or do, you, or do you have a long-term relationship with Mindy? Oh, I wish I had a long-term relationship with Mindy. I do joke uh, that I have, uh, you know, had a book baby with her. So, <laughs> so now we're tied forever. But I think it was really a matter of preparation meeting opportunity. I have done this. This is my ninth novel. It is my il uh, 11th, uh, you know, story. And so I've done this for a while. I've been trying to break through, uh, you know, as a South Asian um, female author in the commercial space. Mindy has been, you know, doing this for over two decades now. She's changed the landscape for diverse creators, I think. And she was, you know, using her platform by starting this publishing imprint to do exactly what 
authors like me need, which is provide a platform for our stories, for voices that have had a harder time um, being accepted into the mainstream. And so I had written this story, which, uh, you know, in some ways was inspired by the kind of humor she writes, because the pandemic taught me that, you know, humor helped me survive the pandemic. And yeah. so I, I, I kind of had came out of the pandemic with this almost uh, this decision that my stories were going to make, you know, provide more laughs for my readers. And it was going to come from a place of this this emotion and this vulnerability, which I think Mindy does really well. So that was a coincidence that I had actually studied her writing and I had written this book. And that was the time that she was searching for a book to kick off her imprint. So it was just magic, universal serendipitous magic. The demand for these Southwest Asian stories really seems to be on the rise right now. Bollywood seems to be a very sought after uh, or, or that style seems to be really sought after in terms of media today. So I guess uh, it's either timely uh, or where do you feel you, you are in this process? You said you've been working at this. Do you feel that you're now riding this wave that's starting or are you helping to push it? I think it, of course, is a little bit of both. I do think, I mean, I feel like it's minimizing it a little to call it a wave because it's more mm. like for, you know, for decades now. And it's not just about being South Asian. I think for decades now, any story that isn't, um, you know, isn't neutral and in especially in the West, literature has been put in this, uh, you know, white neutrality. And that has been um, that has been cemented as the norm. And it has been really hard for those of us uh, who, you know, who are from a different culture, are from a different race, a different religion, different sexuality. For us to tell our stories, it has been breaking down a wall. It has been running into this wall for a very long time. And I do feel like I am absolutely part of the, you know, the crowd of us who has been uh, running headfirst into this wall, as is uh, Mindy. And cra cracks are happening. We still have a long ways to go. So I wouldn't say that there is, you know, it, it feels like a wave when you're talking to a South Asian author, but but it's still, we have a long ways to go. Certainly. Well, I'm also thinking just, you know, in my experience, uh, even with Netflix, the fact that they are now starting to have more and more of these stories available as just a general choice, which it's offered me the opportunity to see this is a very particular type of genre that uh, a, a large portion of the world entertains that we haven't been exposed to. And so suddenly this style is now available. And just for everybody's benefit, you write Bollywood style romances. What does that mean really? So I think of it as a two-pronged concept. And one is stylistically. Bollywood has traditionally been uh, this form of storytelling that pushes the envelope on melodrama. So it's very dramatic. It's very operatic. It's, you know, it's, it's music and choruses bursting. So taking emotions and kind of pushing them all the way to the limit uh, without letting them fall into melodrama. So it is this way to, I think, feel a gamut of emotions in a safe place for a consumer so that is so stylistically that's what it is and the other side of it of course is culture which is the indian culture so it is stories populated by families that have no boundaries you know if you ask my mother uh if i ask my mother to give me privacy she does not compute she is like you're my daughter what does that mean and so 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 these these large 
you know, the way that the relationships play out in our lives ha have a cultural component that, that that tends to be, again, you know, a, a little bit larger, a little bit softer, so a little bit different in texture. So bringing that into storytelling. So both those things, um, I think, present, present on a story, but the stories are still about universal feelings and universal journeys. And um, the, the humanity of them is not different, but the garb is. And this is three generations of Indian women uh, that, that are in this story. As you pointed out, the difference between the grandmother and the, the granddaughter is it's a huge, huge chasm of difference. I guess you can either tell me personally how that may have worked for you or how do, you, how do your characters work that out? So this particular story happens in Florida, in Naples, Florida. And uh, the setting for it is that the 65-year-old widow who has cho chosen to stay with her daughter-in-law when her daughter-in-law and son divorced about two years ago, she comes into a million-dollar inheritance. And where it's coming from is kind of a place of this shameful incident that that happened in her youth so here's this money that is now going to give her these opportunities but it also can throw open all these uh secrets she has hidden all these years and what she does with that money is buys a condo in this posh retirement community and suddenly this whole world opens up to her that she has had no experience with so it's this giant FOMO or as she says you know as the kids say fear of missing out or as she says fear of having missed out so you know she puts an H in the FOMO and she's she, I wanted to write an older woman who wasn't the the traditional tropes of the body piss and vinegar grandma or the font of wisdom you know uh and grace kind of grandmother which feel like very half characterizations for me or partial characterizations i wanted to write a real woman who suddenly just because she's aging her desire doesn't go away her sexuality does not disappear she still has regrets i wanted to give her a chance to go back and actually relive pieces of her lives that were gone because i think one part of this female journey over time is that so many of the opportunities that we now have and our daughters now have, our grandmothers didn't have. And one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I, I kept thinking about what my mom's life would have been like had she had my daughter's opportunities. And so I think that that's the that was the process for me is to is to see and, and Bindu, who is the 65 year old grandmother, isn't your usual grandmother. She has worked very hard to live life to her fullest, but she comes from a place where there was so much that was kept from her. So within the constraints, we do the best we can. But when the constraints go away, the conditioning is so uh, so very strong that we have to do the work to let the conditioning go too. And I think in all three generations, this manifests differently. And I wanted to dig a little bit into that. So with the youngest generation in this book, there's a lot of technology that is an important part of it. How did you manage to write about this current technology? What was what was either the research you did, or um, how were you able to present this in a way that uh, is going to vibe with uh, the younger crowd out there? Um, I, as I said, I have a 21 year old daughter, and my son is uh, 23, and he is a 
he, he's a computer engineer. So, and I worked in technology for almost 20 years. So I do, I'm very familiar with that world. But having said that, my young character, Kali, is someone who has suffered from, uh, you know, debilitating anxiety since she was very young. So the way she gets into coding, and she is incredibly brilliant. So at the age of 16, she writes an app to help herself deal with her day-to-day -day anxiety so it, it kind of matches she she creates this hardware and this app where when she's when her thoughts are going out of control this app picks up on what she needs and matches it with these ancient chants and this music to help her come back into herself and when she develops this from the time she develops it at 16 to she's 25 now there's millions of people around the world who are using her app to survive every day. And she's go they're going to lose it because they want to, the company now wants to slap a subscription fee on it. And so which is why to stop them from doing that, she's, she, she says, I'll give you something else you can monetize. And a, a dating app that, that's based in you know, self-discovery is how she ends up pitching it in a panic after a conversation with her grandmother, knowing having no idea what she's talking about. So it really is about also your work and where it comes from. So when she codes the first app, it is her need. She knows exactly what she's doing. And the, the second app is almost her not having any idea why she even needs love in her life, right? She's, she, she's a younger person who, who doesn't even like that's not part of her conditioning. And, and suddenly she's in this place. So the work we do, if it's not meaningful enough, it comes with it's going to be impossible for us to do it in a meaningful way. And so first she has to learn the meaning of why she would even do a thing like this, you know, why she would even need love, which is a whole journey for a younger person right now. And so I think that was the part of it more. I mean, technology without context, right, is nothing. And yet our life with contextual technology is so much richer. This is Radio Free Galisteo. Music and information from the Galisteo Basin. Radio Free Galisteo is listener supported. Go to www.radiofreegalisteo.com and click on our Patreon support button to become an active supporting member of Radio Free Galisteo. You said you were involved in technology for years, and now you're a best-selling author. How did uh, how did that shift happen? I actually, um, you know, my bachelor's degree is in architecture, so I've jumped around <laughs> quite a bit. But mm -hmm. I have always been, um, you know, always been a writer. It has taken me a long time to own that label, and I, I think I wrote before I talked, uh, or, or rather, sorry, not I wrote. <laughs> I wrote before I read and I was the child that, you know, when my father tried to tell me bedtime stories while tucking me in, I said, no, Papa, I'm going to be the one telling you a story. So I was making up stories really, really young. And so it was always something I wanted to do. It did, you know, it, it is um, sensibly so a hard thing to choose as a means to feeding yourself. Yeah. which is kind of necessary when you're young. And so I went to architecture school. Then I was an architectural journalist for a while and then a technical writer for almost two decades. And I was doing both things. I was, 
writing fiction while I was trying to take fulfill my responsibilities as a as a mother. And slowly but surely, I've been able to do well enough in in storytelling where where I don't have to starve myself. <laughs> Not to say you went into architecture. That's another. Uh, that's another place you could starve yourself. I I, I have a degree in uh, urban planning, and I I know a lot of the architecture students were uh, like starving artists, basically. So uh, congratulations on succeeding uh, all the way through that. Thank uh, you. What was what was your first real big hit story that you put out? So my my debut was called A Bollywood Affair. And it was uh, it came out in 2014, and it did. This was a this was a time when there really was no shelf space for contemporary romance with two non-white protagonists. I mean, there literally was almost nothing there, and if it was there, it was being shelved separately from everything. You know, there was some there was Beverly Jenkins and Brenda Jackson and some um, black authors working, but it was. It was shelved separately. It was really, really like you could count them on on one hand, and uh, and so the Bollywood affair was was I think one of the first two Indian protagonists, actually protagonists who had grown up in India here, and and a rompy, no immigrant angst, none of the poverty porn, but you know just a fun rompy classic rom com. And yeah. it it did catch. I mean, you know, it it was so. I would say right out the door, my debut. It had you know starred reviews. It was on NPR's best. It was reviewed widely and critically acclaimed. So I got a lot of support at the time. They were just starting. This whole noise of you know this whole movement toward diversifying stories was just starting, and I got a lot of support. But readership has you know it it was it was there, but you're always measured naturally. Publishing is also a business, and sales is the is the tool that is used most often uh, to keep, in fact, um, I think marginalized stories from the mainstream. So over time, we have then it's been an upward graph. It's been slow, but it was an upward graph, and I'm I'm really glad I hung in there. But I think right out, I think Bollywood Affair itself did touch a lot of people. It came with surprise. Oh my gosh, I was so surprised by how much I related to this Indian girl from, you know, a small village in India. And she's human and these are people who read vampires and relate to them. So it was, you know, that it's been a journey, but I would say that um a Bollywood affair did give me a really good start. And between that book and the vibrant years in terms of producing the vibrant years, how how was that different than churning out your first novel? Very different and not different at all. <laughs> so a little bit, I you know, I used to like to say that your first novel is like take and I'm you know, pardon my metaphor, but is like taking all your clothes off and going into your back backyard in the middle of the night, right? I mean, you're doing it, but nobody is really <laughs> and, and subsequent books is like taking your clothes off and going out into your front yard with an audience, you know, <laughs> and so that. That, but I mean, you have to block all of that out. I think the process itself has not changed at all. I've always told stories that are really meaningful to me. I've always told them exactly the way I want to tell them. 
your craft of course improves one hopes you learn better ways i've learned to play in terms of fiction with structure i am this is uh, my my first four, my first eight novels were classic um you know love stories so they were romance and rom-coms this is more general fiction it is the story of three women and it is really a journey of their relationships with each other and themselves there mm -hmm. are there are you know um relationships in there um that are of a romantic nature but that is not the spine of the story so i also got to play with past and present a lot of time uh, there is there is this incident that happened in old uh, bollywood so i've gotten to play with old cinema uh, which was incredibly romantic and celluloid and a uh, film preservation and so there are all these themes that i've uh, i've got to work with and of course i think just in terms of of craft one hopefully gets better your pacing gets better this is my first laugh out loud um book i think and i had so much fun writing those scenes now we mentioned you're a best-selling author uh so certainly for the for the american market are your books also in the Indian market as well? Yes, they are. And they are in the English language uh, because I was talking to someone and they said they're not translated into any any of the Indian languages yet. But a large, large part of the Indian readership is English speaking, uh, obviously, thanks to colonization. But a lot of uh, books from the West are read in English. So, yes, they are available in India. This particular one uh, and not being familiar with your uh, eight previous ones and, and, and a little bit now with your first one, uh, this really is uh, uh, seems to be about the, the empowerment of women, which is uh, uh, right now and, and I guess for many years has been a really important uh, issue in India. Uh, do you think this is going to have uh, a, an impact not just to make people laugh, but to, to uh, make them understand the, the journey that women go through? both in India and here. Absolutely. And I love that you said both in India and here, because one of the, you know, one of the things I've noticed over time is that misogyny and the patriarchy is fairly universal. We all come from a certain structure of society. In America, we have gotten to a point where it is really si silent and insidious, and so it's not visible. In India, for many years, it was really, really visible. You know, girls were treated differently, daughters were treated differently than sons, overtly. And therefore, it was, and so any wound or any problem that is visible uh, cannot be denied, and therefore we can find solutions for it. So it has been, in some ways, almost easier to say, this is wrong, let's change it. Whereas in America, it's so easy to deny, right? And so, so the storytelling has to be, I think, that much more nuanced and that much. And it's amazing how these, you know, the fact that Bindu is a 65-year-old woman with all these desires, you know, and, um, and we're talking about her sexuality when we're talking about Ali, who is working at a TV station and having trouble in her marriage because she's, you know, because she's demanding something for herself and it takes away from the marriage. These are these are universal experiences that women have. They're subtler experiences. And I feel like they touch, uh, you know, women of all races just as much. So I do feel that 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 spinning the narrative and changing what we say about women and just accepting that things may not be as far along as we want them to be, I think is a huge step in both 
you know, in both sides. Now, as far as the Indian thing goes, I do make the active effort not to reinforce narratives that have, you know, ha- have have plagued us for many, many years. I will not do, I will not end a love story with a marriage because every Indian story that gets told seems to be entirely focused on that one thing, mm-hmm. right? And just writing stories about things women want to do in terms of work, right? So even the stories that are um, romantic in structure are really about who women want to be in terms of the work they want to do in this world. So just switching a little thing. I, I have never written a story where parents are you know, forcing their kids to get married. It, it's a piece of the culture. It's not the main piece of the culture. It has, you know, millions, of, it has thousands of years of history behind it. And in context, it is what it is. But but I try not to tell the stories that, um, you know, th- that have formed uh, traditional narratives because I feel like those need to be flipped. If there's one particular thing that you really want people to take away from this book, what would it be? I think it is uh, this sense of being okay in your skin, right? Because because we're co- continuously being told who we should be, how we should be, right? What makes us matter? And uh, we do we do enough work to to really explore what does make us matter, who we really are? And I think no matter who you are, to feel like that's okay. That's the sense I want, you know, I I want people to have, to feel seen. Mm -hmm. And you've done it for three generations of women in the vibrant years. Sonali, thank you so much for being here today. Where can people find this book? Uh, They can find it everywhere books are sold. They can certainly find it on Amazon. So it's amazon.com slash the vibrant years. You can get signed copies from the Anderson's Bookshop in Naperville. And all of this information is available on my website at sonalidev.com and on Instagram. Perfect. Well, we'll make sure those links are uh, in with the podcast when we, we post this. Any final thoughts today? Thank you so much for having me. And uh, one of the things that I want to make sure readers know is that if you really want to laugh out loud and tear up and experience a whole bunch of emotions, I think this you will not regret reading this book. And the book is The Vibrant Years by Sonali Dave. Sonali, thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thanks, everyone, for being here. And for Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shane.